Welcome to Tinto Talks, the hub of all things perinatal. My name's Octavia and I will be talking about all things pregnancy related and beyond. We'll be covering specialist topics from experts in the field and collect a spectrum of real life stories from parents who've been there and done that. Our aim is to offer unbiased, evidence-based information, but also shed light on the joys and challenges of parenthood to support each unique journey. There really is something here for everyone. Finally, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, let us know. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and prepare to feel supported, inspired, and informed. Olivia. <laughs> we got there. We did, we did. That was actually quite stressful. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? You've been out enjoying the sun? Honestly, I've been staying inside as much as I can. As a redhead, doesn't really suit me. Um, so I kind of just watch from afar. And me and the cats have just been lolling around the house trying to keep cool. Love it. I know it's actually past that it's past the heat where it's actually kind of pretty hot and quite nice to just stay inside and keep cool yeah it's roasting I know like your chicken in the oven now (laughs) yeah exactly amazing listen thank you so much for joining me today we're basically here to talk about your story about the planning um of your planning to start a family which has kind of instantly being made a little bit more difficult and complicated because you are married to Lucy who is a woman that's so right yes. instantly you've got to you've got to seek extra help to go out there and and start that family so thank you so much for coming today and talking about it no worries um, but also I think you're 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 as a writer you um you've done a lot of research into it which is really interesting so you're kind of an expert in it from when we've spoken about it before um and anybody who um well, you're, you're planning on kind of releasing it uh, or putting it in some sort of format, aren't you? I think I would like to do that. Um, I've been documenting most of the process as we've kind of gone along yeah. because I was really curious about how long the process was going to take. We'd heard really varying things from, from different people, but I think mm-hmm. keeping journals and records of things is something I do anyway. So it came really naturally to me to think, well, I'll document this. I'll keep a bit of a timeline Um, And because it'd be really interesting later on as well, because I'm sure a lot of these things we'll forget. And if it can help other women who are on a similar pathway to us, then that's great, of course. And I think what's interesting, we'll go through it, but, you know, it's it's obviously the initial part of the pathway is is different and more challenging for you. But actually, once you get into the process of IVF and IUI and all that sort of stuff, it's aimed for anybody really going through assisted fertility. That's it. Our our biggest, you know, one of the great things I would preface the call with is that we just feel so lucky that we're even in a position culturally scientifically um we're in this place in society now where we can have this conversation really openly and it's not oh wow it's two women having a baby it's yeah yeah, it's two women having a baby like that's that's some science stuff going on which is really cool um and i am really curious about all this kind of stuff um objectively anyway so it's yeah it's definitely a journey but I think so many couples you know so many people um from all walks of life experience um you know a complicated pathway to conception absolutely so we're just a part of that absolutely it's, it's no easy fit it's literally a miracle the idea of like reproducing another I know yeah. So, yeah it's 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 incredible so yeah I mean we just feel really lucky that we're even able to enter that arena <clears throat> and have support 
from the the medical teams around London and and our families and our friends. It's Brilliant. yeah, it's, we're really lucky. Cool. So let's get started. So just give us a little brief introduction about you know who you are, your age, and your story. Well, okay. So I'm 28. Um, I am originally from New Zealand. So I've been in London for over six years now, I think. See, I'm starting to lose track. <laughs> it just it just flies by. Uh, and Lucy and I have been together for over four years, and we got married two years ago on a beach in Hawaii. It was Lovely. perfect. <laughs> um, and I'm a visual effects film producer in the city. Well, obviously from home at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I work in film, but I also love writing. And last year I released a book. So the the whole writing, the I'm I'm in the creative creative world yeah absolutely amazing that's my kind of arena Lucy's just joined us hi Lucy oh. <laughs> she can hear me through the wall and see me oh. on the <laughs> dinner's ready <laughs> amazing okay cool so when did you guys start thinking about um having a baby and oh like when did you start the actual process of planning it well I think I mean really early on in our relationship we had the conversation that we both wanted to have children at some stage but it was obviously quite abstract as I think it is for a lot of people early on, it's this abstract thing on the horizon. Of course. Um, but it wasn't until we actually changed our minds about how we were going to approach it. So I know we'll talk about the approach a bit later, mm-hmm. but um, Lucy's five and a half years older than me. So she's, you know, she's 33. And we had always just assumed that she would carry first. Yeah. We both we both want the opportunity to carry. That's something that's both that's important to both of us. Yeah. Um so we just assumed that was part of the abstract plan. Of course, it makes sense. She's older, she should go first. But when it came to it, actually, my body was the one doing the thing where it was, you know, turning on these little maternal switches. And I found myself really starting to push push for those, like, next steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, we just thought, well, maybe I should go first. Why not? What's yeah. What's stopping us? And so... When that when we had that conversation, we kind of flipped everything on its head, and we booked an appointment with the GP almost straight away. Because you so, were because I was ready. I was like, "Let's do this," and then we kind of thought, "Well, then Lucy could go straight after." And but that would obviously have involved a lot of things working positively in our favour. Yeah. To so that was kind of how we we started the process. It was actually because we wanted to kickstart uh, me carrying. Um. From the, so then we, we booked an appointment with our GP and that took a, a few weeks, I guess. Um, and that was a really interesting experience. Is that your first the, kind of it, like, in, uh, interaction with somebody about it? Like, have you done any research before you went or did you think, you know what, we'll go to the GP, that's where we start? So I bought about eight books when, <laughs> <laughs> when we first made that decision. I can see them in my line of sight right now. They're all on the shelf. Have I read them all? No, that's beside the point. But um, we'd we obviously we've had some friends who have who have gone down this road who are also gay couples um, with varying degree varying stories varying um, yeah journeys and so we we kind of all of it was stuff that we'd spoken about with people and googled and found online but there was no centralized place where we could go yeah and and really map out a journey it was going to be well so-and-so said this, we found this piece of information on the NHS website. 
Um, but it wasn't until we went to that GP appointment mm-hmm. and he looked at us and asked us what we thought we needed because <laughs> he didn't really know what to do. It's so classic. Um, which was kind of funny. We're like, well, you know, we we were in a clinic where um, we we kind of assumed that there would be a few gay couples passing through yeah. the doors, but this GP really, we had to tell him mm-hmm. what we needed and... It from, was a little bit frustrating. Yeah. From the limited research, you know, just kind of getting a, my head around it for this interview, um, a lot of the information that I found was often from private clinics as well. So I'd be there like, oh, this has got a really good breakdown of everything. And then like suddenly I'd be like, oh, right, they're, they're offering the treatment. So then I was like, okay, well, this is probably a little bit biased as well. There's no like, you know, website that you go to. And even the NHS one, as you say, it's pretty limited. Like it it definitely does say that there are options Um but it kind of just yeah. like posts you straight down to the fertility route. So it doesn't give you that initial how to get in the door. Um, no, and it's different for every council. Mm. So East London, you know, some clinics might offer some funding. North London, it's different. It really is a postcode lottery. That's and like so it is with all fertility. With, schooling, with fertility, with schooling. I mean, it mm. is one of those things. And, you know, we, again, were lucky that the, the borough that we were going through does have a, a reasonably good amount of funding available for IVF, but not for the services that we have been suggested we need, which is IUI first. Mm. Um, so there was, I think, from a policy perspective, you know, it's not it's not just as simple as saying, oh, we want to go and have a baby now. Mm. There's, there's one side and that's, well, actually, there's, there's the biology of it, mm. which is one thing to wrap your head around. The second is the, the emotional and psychological component and the relationship with your partner. And then the third is all the policy and the funding. Mm. Because if you don't, you know, I think if it's it's expensive, whatever way you look at it, I don't think that um, there'd be any gay couple who would be in in London. I mean, people, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm. I don't know of anybody who's been able to just go and do this Mm. fully funded as a gay couple. So that I mean, we'll talk a little bit about cost and everything later. But is 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 any of it funded, or is it just the so initial blood tests? You know, the, all the stuff via the GP. So what what happened once you went to the GP, and then we'll get through the. So, so the the GP had a big question mark above his head, Love it. with you know, with big white eyes. <laughs> um, so he needed to go and find out what to do. And in the meantime, I because it was me at the time who was going to be going ahead with. The, pro- the procedures yeah um I had some blood tests just to check hormone levels and at this point I was really ignorant about different type you know obviously I know progesterone and estrogen but mm. that was kind of the extent of my understanding. you know understanding which makes me feel incredibly ignorant now but you know that's how it was unless you're involved in it why would you know about it you know it's like exactly and high school biology I don't know yeah. what it was like to you but for <laughs> us it certainly didn't go into that much no. detail. Um, so I had some blood tests and follow up. Um, I think I had a couple of phone follow up conversations with the doctor, but our first real stumbling block was being referred to a fertility clinic in a hospital. Mm. So there are different ways that you could approach it. So for couples who want to be completely private, that's great. You can go and have those consultations and pay for everything, and they'll they'll you know, they'll talk you through all of that. Yeah. But if you choose to go through the NHS pathways where you're, you'll be eligible for some funding, which is what we opted for, yeah. 
that's where it does get a bit confusing. Well, it's difficult because the, the, the criteria to get funded for fertility treatment doesn't apply to you. So you have to have been trying for a baby for two years, which is impossible. So Yeah, and, our, and the doctor kind of replied. So we had said we wanted, we wanted to go to this particular hospital mm. because we'd heard good things. And, and that, you know, a few gay people we knew had gone through that hospital. So we thought, great, this is the one we'll, we'll aim for. Not even clocking that it was out of the catchment area for the GP. Yeah. And, you know, Lucy works in the medical industry as well. <laughs> so it, it, even for, like, it didn't even cross our minds. And so our um, referral letter was rejected from the hospital. We were so confused and we didn't know why it had been rejected. The doctor didn't know why it had been rejected. So I was calling up private clinics saying, does this happen to you? Are we going to invalidate ourselves for funding yeah. in the future if we approach you for anything so it was really and you know Lucy and I were both working at the time as well so mm. you're trying to arrange calls with in the end I just called the hospital and I read them the letter and they said oh it's because you're not in the you're not in the right catchment Ugh. so how long did this process take oh this was at least six weeks oh wow so we lost a couple of months even in that with that one little faux pas yeah um so then we had to go back and re-refer with the same letter to the right hospital. Um, and that at this point we were starting to get a little bit paranoid. And so we were calling the hospital saying, have you got the letter? Yeah, have you got the letter? Yeah. GP, have you sent the letter? And I, I knew we were being a bit naggy, but again, we'd heard stories of people whose letters had been lost and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So we just felt that we had to kind of be on top of it in that way. Um, so how did you get around the criteria? Because obviously you didn't meet the criteria of having tried for two years. And then there's also, um, I think it's tw uh, 12 cycles of IUI as well that you were supposed to have failed, or is that something different? So so at six, so essentially for us to qualify for any funding, uh, we would need to have proved, proven that we'd attempted six rounds of IUI, so the intrauterine insemination, and have it fail six times. And is that within the NHS or is that privately? That So you pay for it. You pay okay. for it, Fine. but it's, but it's through the NHS. So it's an NHS service that you pay for. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the, the prices are, I think, reasonably uh, comparable to private clinics. Yeah. Um, some private clinics obviously go up much higher. Mm. And again, a lot of it depends on the drugs that you might need. Um, a lot of our early consultations with the clinic were free which is yeah. great because those costs rack up really quickly yeah. it's yeah. not just the procedures it's the consultations the scans and all of that mm. so I actually had I had um uh, an ultra an internal ultrasound um that was covered I had all the blood tests were covered That's our good. first yeah our first appointment with I guess a fertility consultant who was kind of assessing us um was also free and of course, we Google all these people, and they—they're they're amazing. They're, you know, the, the, we knew we we were we were so lucky to be getting these incredible doctors. Um, and so they, should, at this point, are they actually checking your fertility? So obviously, you're in the yes. fertility clinic. So even though you have no reason to think that that you have a problem, especially because you're younger, that's it. Yeah. you're still going through the full process, really, of having a full that's screening. Where where we were on the pathway. Uh, designed for heterosexual couples who are struggling to conceive. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's a lot slower as well. So in a way, it doesn't. It's it's they are 
not wasting their money, but you know, they there could be another pathway that could be created that is specifically for I, same sex couples. So you just go straight to let's try the IUI. That I mean, I think it could be simplified a lot, but because we do represent such a small minority, I think it would. I, I can see why policies haven't necessarily been developed because yeah. I don't think we represent a huge proportion of the people going through it. Although, I, I, again, I could. But then, I could if you're thinking about how to save money, but yeah, no, it doesn't. Totally, matter. but the, the but the, on on the flip side of that, it meant that the the tests that I was getting were were really. Um, I mean, some of them, the the high cozy which I had was <laughs> invasive. Is that so, the dye? That's the dye. And so I actually, throughout that process, learned to, I learned so much about the hormone levels, the follicle counts, um, the, the lining of your uterus, and whether or not I, my, everything was in good order. So on that, ha- on that front, I'm grateful because it meant that if they had discovered things, it, it could have changed our approach, but because it, they didn't find anything um, to cause them concern, Good. it kind of put my mind at ease. Absolutely. But then, of course, we changed it all up again. But I, I should mention that the time between us going to see the GP, so that was in August 2019, we didn't go into the fertility part of the hospital um, until January. Wow. It's a long so time, isn't it? it is a lo- it is a long time, but once we were in the door, things were moving really quickly, and the staff were incredible. Hospital was incredible. I mean, we really couldn't fault anything. Um, the the only problem ended up being COVID nineteen. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I guess that's completely that was out of our hands. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's it's been so traumatic for so many people who've waited so long to get to where they are. And, yeah, and, and to have it all just like put to a complete stop. So, and our, you know, our consultant. I mean, we we still feel like we're part of we're the lucky ones because there there are people in that that group of people who were seeking treatment that were on the cusp of turning forty, yeah. and were suddenly going to become ineligible for IVF funding. And for some women, that the, the, the a month can make a difference. Well, of course, yeah. And so so we we Lucy and I have had our minds put at ease that we know we're kind of things are okay things are looking good under the hood at yeah, the moment absolutely so yeah. so we're not we're not panicking mm. but we do like our hearts go out to the women and their their partners or the women who are who are dealing with um all of this uncertainty yeah. and then who knows how long it's going to take to all kind of get back but up there'll be the backlog running. exactly exactly the backlog so, so yeah talking about just again just going a little bit more into detail about what your options are so you've got IUI which is the interuterine insemination which yep. is in the, the the most awful term for it is turkey basting it is clinical <laughs> turkey basting this this it is clinical it's expensive clinical turkey basting that's it but um it and is- because sometimes comes so basically you uh well you tell us how, how it's done do you know so done? i can tell you I've got so, <laughs> so i mean it's it's probably exactly what people are imagining it's just you you get the the donor sperm and it gets inserted into your uterus and it's all the, the the thing about it that makes it more successful is everything's timed with your hormones with your cycle everything's monitored um, the sperm is top grade, top of the shelf. Yeah. You know, you're paying for that. I mean, yeah. the sperm is pricey. Yeah. 
that's one of the the biggest costs actually is is the donor sperm. So it's a really because it's such a controlled environment. Um, you so know, they this, do, they yeah, do like sorry. A, an internal ultrasound, don't they, to check the lining of the uterus to check that it's at its most prime. Uh, so it's nice seat. and plush. Yeah, it's exactly. nice and plush. And then you you've got have, some follicles. Yeah, follicles exactly, which take the egg yeah. and and look after it whilst and help it grow. Um, that's yeah, my medical term. <laughs> look after <laughs> it. Um, and then you, you do you and then are you always given medication to support the process, or is it just no. that you need it? I think it really depends on the woman. So some women might have extra hormones to help with the de- with the development of the follicles. Um, but if you're develop, if you've got plenty of follicles there, then you might take. Um, again, this is all just stuff I've looked at online. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a clinical expert, oh, but my understanding is you 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 will have you'll do a shot at home called the trigger shot, which will for, definitely make sure that you ovulate at a certain um, on a certain day. Yeah, and then you go in. They know which side you're ovulating from, um, and they can aim it Richard. right there. <laughs> so. Um, can't really miss. Yeah. But having said that, it's still not 100% effective. Nothing is. Yeah. Um, but this is something that I found really mind-blowing, actually, was the, the success rate. So it's so, I mean, it uh, sounds, sounds awful saying, but it's so low. Like, it's, 20, it's low, yeah. 24% for women under, well, between, well, actually, that's 21 to 25. So, and then it reduces, um, like, quite rapidly as you get older. But then your success rate increases the more times you do it which kind of makes sense because you're just keeping on going and I guess I don't know why yeah. that would happen I guess it's just your, it's I think it's just it's it's the like it? it's the likelihood of it of it of something taking and yeah. all the stuff that I learned about egg health being really crucial your age the quality of the eggs make all the difference mm. so if you've released an egg that's not so hot one month maybe it won't take so you, ju- you just don't you can't know these no. things whereas if you're going down the IVF route um, you're you're taking even more control of that process. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, you know, even women who uh, uh, women who conceive, you know, naturally, they they have a one in three chance of having a miscarriage. So it's absolutely right. You know, it's, it's just not it. as simple as just you know make a baby. But and, yes, go on. Oh, sorry, and and also I think that if people are using if people are going down the IUI pathway, then you're already if you took for instance if you took a sample of a hundred women who had no fertility issues and you did IUI in all of them, yeah. the success rates would probably be better. Yeah. But because the statistics represent women who are who are struggling, yeah, that's, that's going to be lower. So if Lucy and I, as a gay couple, and this is I've seen this a couple of times online, there are a couple of studies that show it, but some lesbian couples do actually skew some of the results for clinics. Yeah, that's good. Because we and it makes we're sense. not seeking we're not seeking treatment for um, fertility issues we just yeah. we're missing a key component <laughs> yeah. um so so I think it, it really just depends on the woman yeah. and it really depends on on so many things it's such a it's such an individual kind of situation and this might seem like a naive question but um since lockdown happened and obviously things got completely put to a standstill did you consider going down the turkey basting route do you think that's oh my god get- I, of course <laughs> of course i mean we were devastated when yeah. when our consultant because we were so we after i had my consultations and lucy was there with you know we we were in these consultations together yeah. alpha the first fertility specialist said to us Lucy's lucy laughing. <laughs> she's laughing <laughs> 
go and go and get Lucy referred as well, so she can consult us both. Yeah, that's a good idea. And so, so we were essentially advised to go back to our original plan that as Lucy approaches thirty-five, we don't want to get into a situation where things might become more challenging. Yeah, and we by that point we were so used to the idea of getting pregnant and having a baby, it didn't really matter. It was like we just get we just want to do it. So um obviously that that day where Lucy was supposed to go in and have a what have the high cozy. Yeah. Um and our consultant said to us, like I'm really sorry, but when today is the day we're not doing them. No, so but, you know, so it was just was one of those things. What, the first day that it stopped. Yeah. So we were right on the cusp. Mm. But having said that, even if she'd had the procedure, the likelihood that we would have been able to progress with treatment would have, it wouldn't have happened anyway. Yeah. My guess is, almost, so, you know, would you have got the results? You know, lots of people I know, I've had friends who've lost their results, you know, which is really stressful. You kind of go in there, they, you know, I've had a, a couple and um, the guy goes in there and they're like, oh, do we know you? And he's like, well, yeah, you've got a pot of my sperm. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> you know me very well. You know, I think, yeah, I think sometimes it's worth doing everything in the right order at the right at the same time and just exactly and and because I wouldn't recommend having a high cozy more than once if you can avoid it and Lucy would have had to have probably two Mm, yeah because of the amount of time that elapsed so there was that moment is is it painful or what's what's oh yeah I mean it's I mean in the big scheme of things boo-hoo you know what what is it exactly it's so they in (laughs) it might sound a bit gory I guess but basically it's like having a smear but 10 times worse okay um so you, you they they have the speculum in for quite a while and there's a lot of digging there's a lot of probing and then the catheter goes they basically thread a catheter in once they've put a balloon in your cervix to keep it open they thread the catheter through then they flood you with I think saline and then die yeah and that induces period cramps okay and it's just because it goes on for so long. What's it for? So check. this is for it's for checking if your tubes are open. Yeah. So if you've got any obstructions, if you've got endometriosis or cysts, etc. Yeah. Um, so that's these, to just check that everything's clear. So these are all some of the risk factors that might um, lead to your chances of conceiving naturally a bit. That's it. Diminished, yeah. And if, for instance, there is some endometriosis in my family. Okay. Um, my sister has it. So mm. it's really important. And again, this goes back to being a bit more proactive with knowing about where your fertility is at. We were able to see that I didn't have any blockages. So we were a good candidate for IUI. That's what made us a good candidate for IUI. Um, whereas if we'd had obstructions, it might have been necessary to go down the IVF route. And we would have had that information. Yeah. without having to try those six times for, yeah. for, for it probably not working. Yeah, and so, I think that's another reason why, you know, it's so good that the they do do all those tests at the beginning, as you yeah. say, because at least then to get onto the next stage of the funding, you know, if you do end up having to go down the IVF route, then, then yeah. you know, yeah, at least you're not wasting your time, so that's good. Um, yeah, so but, if you have the test and you aren't able to have the IUI, does that mean you go straight to IVF? Or, like, if th- things on, came up or... I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think the policy dictates you do have to try IUI, but I think at their discretion, they can wipe that away, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But of course, when, when we had that bad news, you know, in my head, I hit the panic button. We were heading into an apocalypse. 
when would we ever be able to have a baby, you know, and, and there was always that question mark of, well, there are women who do the old school turkey-based method. Yeah. Um, we've heard the stories. Uh, it, but the challenge with that is a legal one. Okay. So if you use a known donor and you inseminate at home, then the the man would be on the birth certificate and then would be eligible for parental rights. Do they have to be on the birth certificate? Because I thought that's the mother's choice to decide whether they put a name on. Not 100% sure, but if the father changed his mind, I mean, it's your word against someone else's. So, so of course, if you drew up legal documentation and had a lawyer involved, I mean, I I don't don't quite know enough about how much all of that would cost. It's definitely possible. I can see Lucy's comment. Lucy's just said, one of the women on my football team used a pesto jar and it worked first time. (laughs) It did. Love it. You'd have to come up with some really good name, like maybe an Italian name. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have to. And power to them. I mean, they would have saved a hell of a lot of money. And also um, taking it all into their own hands, it probably would have been quite totally. a story. Like. Honestly, uh, it's it's not something that I, like in principle, it would be so much easier. But unfortunately, there are all these legal ramifications. And with choosing a donor and going with a, a licensed sperm bank, I mean, you're getting, the, the product you're getting has been screened for everything. Yeah. And and that's that's really important because obviously we want to have the healthiest child possible mm. um and the clinics really make sure that that that's in, that's the likeliest that's ensured mm. um so i think you know it's a lot more popular in the states from what i understand uh, some more of those little home methods mm. um but i think in terms of having it um legally watertight and following all of the um government policies and guidelines which I do really agree with I mean all of the HEFA fertility um, guidelines you know they're all really spot on in my opinion and so so that is the uh, governing body looking after donors is that right that's yeah that's that's right and so the UK kind of adheres to those those rules and regulations um, which does give protection to everybody involved It, it thinks about in my opinion at least and I know this is something that you could come at this from a lot of different angles, mm. um, but it protects the mothers, it protects the donor parents, and it, then I think it really does protect the donor offspring as well. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll actually talk about the the sperm and everything in a, in a minute, but I just want to talk about IVF as well, just very quickly, just yeah. so that we kind of cover what that's all about and that process, and then and then we get into choosing the donor, which is just such a fun <laughs> conversation. I love it. I'm always like it's wild yeah it's wild honestly so much fun it's like the best form of tinder (laughs) it's like the most bizarre thing (laughs) ever so IVF so basically this you would only do if you end up having problems with the fertility this is where they remove your eggs they have the sperm they fertilize the egg outside the body and then they place it back in the uterus ready to go Um, both of both options IUI and IVF you have the possibility of having multiple pregnancies don't you so there's still that risk with with that um although probably because i did i was wondering because obviously with ivf they would put a cluster of eggs in wouldn't they whereas so it really depends it's really from my understanding it's really unusual for doctors to implant more than one embryo in a woman under 40 okay because 
the risk of multiples is so much higher. So unless it's you've had a various amount of cycles and it's not worked, I think it would be quite unusual for someone of my age or Lucy's age to be given more than one. Again, this happens more in the States, eat about octo-mum, and there are higher incidences of multiple births. Um, so in the UK, again, I think they're really conscious of the fact that it's yeah. if, if, they, if that can be avoided. And then IUI, I think, I don't know if there's necessarily a higher risk of multiples, but... No. Hey, two for the price of one. Yeah, exactly. That is done. <laughs> Job done. Although I know. I can hear every every parent of twins going, no, girl, no. <laughs> exactly. And then you've got to have another one anyway because the other one wants a baby too. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, from a, uh, so the, the, the chance the stats are much better with, with IVF. Um, obviously, again, once you get past 35, it starts to diminish. It actually goes down by about 10% every um three years which is quite a lot so once you get it does yeah it's it's quite uh and i should probably because um just because we're talking about i guess the gay methods yeah um, something that's actually quite popular among gay women is something called reciprocal ivf okay so i mean this is pretty incredible that this technology exists but essentially you can take the egg from one woman fertilize it, and then implant it in the uterus of the other woman. That's amazing. Um, which is incredible, mm. um, incredibly expensive. Oh, really? <laughs> NHS so certainly only... doesn't. It's only privately. I, the, the NHS, I don't think, would ever fund would ever fund that. Um, but that is a, an option that some women categorically do want because it makes them feel closer, everyone's you know, involved. more. everyone's involved. Um, we don't even have that option anyway because lucy's a carrier of cystic fibrosis okay so i wouldn't be legally allowed to carry her eggs even you know even if we did all the paper it's just not it's it's not legal okay so it kind of takes a decision out of our hands of course she could carry an embryo of mine but we kind of just figure well we want to start with the most minimally invasive way and cost effective way yeah um and we don't necessarily want to overcomplicate things Absolutely. too much. Having said that, if someone gave us the cash to do it, and it was, you know, we'd probably do it. Yeah. But, but um, I think it's interesting what money, how money changes things. But you know, like I think that just going the simplest path is sometimes the nicest way because you don't, it doesn't overcomplicate things, and you know. It's... Yeah, and our our friends with kids, you know, they look at us and they say, it's not going to matter who the baby comes out of. Exactly. If it's screaming at 2 a.m., yeah. you're both, you're just not going to care. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so we're not really, yeah. it doesn't really, that wasn't an, an option that we really considered seriously. Um, and then I think before we go on to the, the donors, um, something when we first spoke about this that I found really interesting about what you what you said was that when you decided to, um, you know, really kind of start the process of planning a family, um, you suddenly realised how, like, you know, working women always kind of strive to, like, get their career sorted and, you know, they, they push back having children until their, you know, their career's done and they've kind of achieved all these things that they want to do. And then as soon as you suddenly started planning, you were suddenly like, oh, my God, like, these aren't marrying up. Like, being mentally ready and physically ready don't always marry up. And I think it's you know you kind of had a real well say what you feel about it because you you kind of wanted to educate women about it you know yeah I think what would be amazing is if there were more conversations that were happening younger 
when kids are actually at school. So as we joked about before, I mean, the the kind of biology lessons we had at school were really more anat- anatomical. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the emphasis was always, you will get pregnant. You don't do anything because it, it'll happen yeah. to you. Just don't get pregnant. <laughs> Just don't get pregnant. You know, that, that was the kind of rhetoric. And then suddenly something happens and the switch flicks and you yeah. look around and actually people are really struggling. Mm. And it's a surprise because there's no real rhyme or reason for who struggles and who doesn't. Mm. Although we and are all getting a lot older having children, you know, like it's, that's true. It's, you know, before it used to be kind of from, uh, you know, late teens up to kind of early twenties. And now that would be like, yeah. you know, kind of gosh, you know, probably should have waited a bit longer. Whereas actually as you know, as everyone's getting older, they're struggling because their bodies just are, it's not just the process of getting pregnant as well. It's the, the birth, the, the pregnancy is harder. The, the birth yeah. is harder and the recovery is harder as well. So yeah, you know, you're older, your collagen changes. You're not able to like just snap back. and Yeah. And we've, Lucy and I have got a real mix of friends who are all at different ages and stages of their lives. And it's been really interesting to watch the different journeys, mm-hmm. straight or gay, um, how it's all played out, and there isn't really you. You can't look at someone and think, "Oh, they'll have an easy time." Yeah, you have absolutely no idea. And some women will have no problem getting pregnant in their forties. Yeah, another woman will will experience early menopause leading up to their thirties. Yeah, and also and, you, you could have someone who has two, um, you know, babies and then goes on to have struggle later on. You know, to go on for the third time it. or whatever. So yeah, I think you. It's definitely about very, being very sensitive about it, and also educating. It's always the same. It's like you know, if you are informed, you will hopefully make decisions. But it, yeah, it, and I think you're right. It's starting the conversations early with 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 teenagers and, and young yeah. women, and and not saying you know you should be working and getting to this point and freezing your eggs and this that and the other because it's 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 you know it's a, it's a ch- once you want that baby like it's 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 heartbreaking and the, the egg freezing the egg freezing is should really be approached with caution because there's a big difference between freezing an embryo and freezing an egg and i think that companies these big companies that are saying we'll give you an insurance policy and freeze a bunch of your eggs mm. the statistics of it working isn't actually that great really so yeah so for, for women to be if as the culture and the perception around when you should have children and whether you should have them at all as that changes it's really important i think that the narrative women are hearing is actually one that's based in fact and science yeah and the first thing is to really know your own body and know the the reality of our fertility yeah and i was so shocked how ignorant i was until we started this process and you know all along the way they kept saying to me oh you're really young you're really young it's like well yeah but this process take will will take us years Mm. so we don't necessarily one of the benefits of being a gay couple actually is that you're far more used to the idea of assisted reproduction from a much younger age because you know Mm. that you're never going to be able to conceive you know conventionally so you're used to it Mm. so when so lucy and i had these conversations when i was 24 yeah and so at that point we didn't start earlier you know you've got to you've got to think about it yeah and so there was never a moment when i was 24 where i wanted to go yeah let's go and do it now Mm. i mean there was a little part of me that did but also cognitively i knew that that wasn't right um but because i kind of had accepted in my mind that it was going to be a longer process and also being with someone who's a bit older, I came to terms with these things a bit sooner. And the difference between my friends and um, 
well, I guess my friends back in New Zealand and my friends in London, it's so different. And I think it is the culture working and living in a big city where the emphasis is on pushing that career, climbing that ladder. Yeah. Um, the, the, I don't really recall having many conversations about fertility with my friends here in London before all of this. Yeah, you know, it's a funny it, one. But also, I think before you start, it becomes on your radar. It's not something that you really talk about. Like people yeah. aren't interested about talking about babies if you're if they're not on your radar. So, and why would you care about your AMH level at twenty four? Yeah, exactly. Why would you care about that? And but now, I mean, my friends back in New Zealand, loads of them are pregnant. Yeah, and it's and yeah, so it's. Mm. I think. Sorry, you're gonna. I was just gonna it. say the other thing that um, kind of ties in with this information is that you mentioned it before that you know when you if you do end up going privately, it's worth just really getting your research done because private clinics will have lots of different add-ons and they so many they'll tell you different things to what the NHS might say, which might not be wrong, but it might just be a different way of presenting it to you to make you think that you might need certain tests done, a blood test, and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, and especially if you're in a vulnerable position and you. You know, if you're in that zone of wanting to conceive mm. and someone's looking at you and saying, well, this might increase your odds, I'll do it, I'll do you're it. probably going to take it. And, and so I think it is really important that, um, that, that couples do their research yeah. and, and really get into the forums and, you know, read the books, watch the documentaries, not to overwhelm yourself too much, or, but to just, I think, be informed. Yeah. Um, because Lucy and I watched a couple of documentaries and there were hidden cameras and they did this investigation and you saw a doctor advocating for these treatments that actually in all of the fine print were listed as um, experimental. Nice. There's no evidence. It might work, mm. but also we have no clinical ground, you know, there's no basis in fact for it. So I think those private clinics can get away with a lot. And also they do, from from what I hear, the the rate of medication that you are given at a private clinic tends to be a lot higher. Mm. They they do pump you full of drugs Which, because you know, they want to stimulate. The, yeah, who knows what the side effects are? They can make you feel really sick. You know, they can call. You know, yeah, yeah, and there are, and and so that's really not limited to just gay couples, or that's the the whole process of IVF. I mean, it's it's a really really big. Mm. emotional psychological um and you know i've not even gone through it yeah i've just i just i see some friends of mine who have, who have dealt with it um and you know you read the stories you, you watch the documentaries and you see i mean it, it can be really distressing yeah God, crazy okay so let's talk about the fun stuff let's talk about <laughs> choosing the sperm the donor <laughs> where do you go how does it work? What's what's tell tell us on that? Yeah, this this will blow people's minds. So basically, it, it does depend on what country you're doing it from. So I'll do this from the perspective of the UK, but I will kind of reference other countries as well because it's relevant. But in the UK, all donation egg or sperm has to be known donors. Okay. So so not anonymous. Mm-hmm. So that means that. <clears throat> any donor has to be comfortable with potential children in the future knocking on their door at 18. Wow. Um, and they get given that information if they want it. Um, you know, not all kids may want to have access to that information or, or care, but it, yeah. basically the law says that's the case. Um, you're that's also quite an not, undertaking. <clears throat> yeah, it is. And yet there's, there's a lot of people that, that do it. So, 
Mm. Um, you're also not eligible to get paid for your donation. So I think you get reimbursed for travel. And if you're an egg donor, I think you do get reimbursed a bit more because it's quite invasive. But yet you have to pay to get it. You have to pay to get it. And that's because it gets washed, it gets analysed, it gets stored and treated. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the cost comes in. And also all of the overhead with getting the donors in and doing all of that administrative work, which Mm. after you look at one of these donor profiles, you'll see how much administrative work goes into creating the profiles. So I can see how the price gets up there. And the price also changes based on motility. So the more expensive or the more money you're prepared to spend, the higher motility of sperm you can actually get in one of the vials. So the the process is obviously as you're going down your route of visiting the fertility clinic and getting all these appointments and box ticking, um, there's a bunch of banks that you can choose from and they have to be um, approved by HIFA, the fertility um, regulating body. So that's when you literally can plug in some filters and say what you're looking for and just start reading. And, and is it like, I mean, is it a book? Or, well, I guess it's that's old school. It's like it? an it online, online, it's like yeah. a, it's online profiles. So to be honest, the UK, sorry, the European Sperm Bank is probably a good example. Okay. Um, they have really detailed profiles and there's not a huge amount of, a huge amount of donors. It's not like you have thousands of people to choose from. Um, because it is no donation. So the you know more people are willing to donate anonymously. So there is a bit of a limitation. And are um, they limited as to how many times they can donate as well? Because surely otherwise you've got like, he'd have like... Yeah, so or? exactly. So in the UK, you're limit, the, the donor's limited to 10 families. So that might be, you know, each family might have two or three kids to the same donor, but that still keeps it contained. Um, whereas in the States, it's unregulated. So... My understanding with that is, you know, you don't know yeah. who who's who. And there was a really interesting uh, piece of journalism that I read maybe six months ago now where a kid who was born of, like a donor, a donor kid, um, realized, like wanted to go and photograph all of their donor siblings. And there was like, a, there's a network online where you, you know, you have your donor number and, yeah. and all these kids were finding each other and there were dozens dozens and dozens all over the country wow and of course i mean that presents some really interesting ethical well yeah i mean how do you it, know when you marry someone that they're not your sibling and that can lead to loads of genetic problems if you're not having well that's it later? and yeah. that's the danger of the of the of something not being regulated so that's the great thing about the uk is it's highly regulated and there's no risk of well i mean there's always going to be a risk yeah but of the likelihood that you're going to end up Marrying your half brother or sister, fingers crossed. <laughs> That'd be really bad um, luck, wouldn't it? Um, so you so they, they screen the, the sperm and they, they check for HIV, all these different things. Everything. What, um, yeah. Is it kind of genetic disorders as well as kind of genetic disorders? So you get a real breakdown of not just the donor but the family history as well. Okay. So it covers things from allergies to cancers wow. to mental health. Um, glasses, you name it, it's pretty much on there. Yeah. If if the if the information is available to that with, person, with the so you get most of the time, not all the time, but you can see pictures of the donor when they were young. 
So you might see a baby picture of the donor and it does make a difference. I mean, you want to think that you're that person who can be really like, just go by the amazing traits. But if you do look at a baby and you go, Ooh, like <laughs> it does make a difference and it does make a difference. So someone might look really outstanding on paper and then, you know, questionable, Yeah, you know, and, and that's fine. That's obviously a subjective position. Um, but it is amazing how much information you get and, um, you know, no one's going to have perfect, there's never going to be the perfect yeah. match, you know, I, but the, the things I've kind of heard from, from other couples is that as time goes on and if your journey becomes prolonged and you're struggling, it becomes less and less about those superficial things Absolutely. and more about whether or not you can conceive with a donor. Yeah. So we're keeping, we're, we're our kind of approach to it is to be open-minded and, Luckily, when we look at profiles, we tend to go for the same thing. That's good. Which is really great. Um, and there are things that are really important to us that, you know, we'll value more than the person next to us. You get IQ and... and you don't get IQ, but you can work out... I mean, it's amazing what you can work out <clears throat> from the profiles. Did you say that they write something? They do. So the, the way the profiles are kind of structured is it will have picture some quick stats. Um, one thing that's really helpful is the, the person who's, I guess, inducted the donor gives a donor, it gives an impression. Yeah. So like a staff impression. So they'll describe the person and how they walked into the room okay. and, you know, maybe they're shy and they open up more, or maybe they're really well dressed or maybe they gesture loads, okay. whatever it is. And so you get a sense of a person based that's off a, this. Nice. Yeah. And, and then it'll have information like, favorite music, favorite food, favorite color, you know, favorite country. And then it gets into kind of the health stuff. And then there is a letter or a a written note Mm. to the, and some of, some of the messages are just so sweet. You know, you can really see that the people who make these decisions to be donors have really thought about doing it for the right reason from a place of genuinely wanting to help others. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, a lot of donors will say, because they get asked, what's your reason for becoming a donor? And a lot of the reasons are, I've seen people struggle and I want to help. Yeah. Or I don't plan on having children and I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah. And cool. and I think that's really, really amazing. Yeah, um, definitely. So, um, and when yeah, you, I mean. When do you get the sperm? Is it once you, like, what, like can you get it and freeze it? or like? Yeah, so in theory, we could order it any time okay. and just freeze it but that's not cheap and also we one of the appointments we didn't get to have before the covid stuff happened was an appointment with the donor nurse yeah. i think the so we didn't get to ask some key questions that so so we we've got a bit of a short list mm-hmm. um but we've we've not got really really hung up on one donor in case you know in case we hear a piece of information that changes our mind or in case the donor is no longer available. Mm. Um, do you have to buy, you have to buy for the siblings as well, technically? You, don't have you to do. Buy. And it's, so it's about, generally speaking, it's about 700 euros a pot. Um, so if you think you need one vial for every IUI attempt. Wow. So that, that adds up really quickly. Mm. Obviously, if you're doing IVF, you'd only need one because you can, you know, you're capturing one sperm yeah. to. Yeah. So, so you, you have plenty. Need like eight parts. That's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. 5, and this is the pounds, uh, just of 
the sperm. Just just for the sperm. And it's not only that, but it's the cost of shipping it because from what it sounds like, it gets shipped here in a bloody private jet filled with liquid liquid nitrogen. (laughs) I mean... Obviously not, but it's expensive yeah, yeah, is what yeah, I'm getting yeah. at. It's expensive to get it here and it's expensive to store it. Mm. So we don't know. We And that's a conversation we still need to have with the donor nurses, how much we actually want to buy. Because it is important for us to, to have the same donor for both of our kids yeah, of so that yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a connection with them. Yeah, of course. Um, it's amazing. It's such an incredible like journey that you guys are going through and it is so cool that like you're, you have it's the amazing. opportunity to do it. and. Um, I'm really, oh, science! Yeah, it's Gotta love their science. Yeah, yeah. I'm so pleased that it's something that, as you say, you can we can talk about openly, and you know, it's it's not this, it's not just you know, you have to go yeah. via the back past the back back passage to the back door. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work either. But, um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to stop there. But, um, You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> or not? Or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I think it's it's incredible. You know, you guys are literally the first, well, you know, around the first generation of of, of women to be doing this, um, and I think it's yeah, we're really lucky. The pathways will get simpler and and smoother, and you know, maybe they will if you don't come up with any fertility issues. You know, start to kind of allow you to bypass certain bits so that you don't have to go sure. jump all these hoops. So yeah, we I, might be really lucky. It might work first time. Yeah. It might take five years. We'll just have to roll the dice okay. and um, and really be open. Yeah. to whatever comes our way i think that's amazing. the best way we can approach it amazing well thank you so much for sharing uh your story with me and everyone today. oh you're welcome um, i hope i'm sure there's going to be so much in, um helpful information for everyone and when you um do your blog or however you decide to kind of put the information out there we will we'll we'll promote it and get it all out less so thanks absolutely well thank and, you so much yeah and hopefully once you have your babies you can come back and do a birth story Definitely. We will be showing all the babies. Amazing. Listen, let's end it there because I don't want it to cut off and then we lose everything. But um, thank you so much and have a good evening, okay? Thanks, you too. Bye. 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 Bye.